Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast that keeps it real. It's deeper than tasting notes. It goes beyond just getting educated on wines. But how can you really know a wine if you don't know the stories, the people, and of course, the place where it comes from that's shaped it? That, my friend, is what we do here. And I'm glad you're along for the ride. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Now, before we get into today's show, keep in mind, we got a lot coming up in Paso Wine Country. Also, later on in the show, with our Travel Paso Spotlight, I'm always getting DM'd on Insta asking for food racks, also drink recommendations. So today, I got you. I'm going to talk to the owner of Fish Gaucho, Pappy's, Cane Tiki, and 1122 Speakeasy, and share what makes their unique vibes and drinks, and food, so much fun. These guys get Paso. They just do. Travelpaso.com for more on how to book your next visit, but I'm excited to spotlight them after our chat today. Well, we just honored our Wine Industry Person of the Year. Congrats to Eric Jensen of Booker. He's been on the pod before. It was a tremendously popular episode because he pulls no punches. And thank goodness we're not on my radio show, policed by the FCC, because convos with Eric often include some... Colorful language, to say the least, but it's Eric's passion in what he does, what he says, and what he believes that makes him so special. It's why I love him, why I respect him. Introducing him as Wine Person of the Year, his good friend, and one of his two mentors, Justin Smith of Saxum, and he's also here today. So this is going to be one unforgettable episode, I guarantee it. I got a great text from the owner of Epic Estate Wines, Bill Armstrong, Go back. It was, he was a fantastic episode here, one of my favorites, about the significance of Eric in Paso and Justin at Saxon in Paso, for that matter. Bill said this, I am not sure I would even be in Paso, but for Justin and his wine quality from Saxon proved to me that West Paso can produce world-class wine. Plus, his overall knowledge really helped me in my decision-making process before I bought the Paderewski Vineyard. Some people just have the it factor. Justin has the it factor. I just think it's so cool that here's another person, in addition to Eric, who we're going to hear today, that Justin was a great mentor to coming up in the wine business. Bill continues here. Therefore, there is nobody better to introduce Eric than Justin. Eric, for his part, has really done wonders to promote West Paso, too. Booker is a killer brand, and so is his My Favorite Neighbor. Plus, his work with Must Charities is really inspiring and making real change for the better. I am so proud and super happy for both of them. We are truly lucky to have them both in Paso. Perfectly put, Bill. I think that is so special, and I can't wait now to get you into this conversation, so let's get into it. I show up to Saxon, and I set up my equipment in the seller's hookah lounge. I know. One wall completely lined with vinyl, left to right, records from all over with a record player sitting front and center. The other wall from left to right is this comfy and stylish couch that really lends to the whole hookah lounge vibe. The room looks on one side out to the vineyards and on the other side into the cellar through a pair of glass doors. We left you a seat. So now that we're all here, let's go. So give me that moonshine, woogie bow. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company.
This is oh. one of those like super super cool shows. I'm super stoked because both of your episodes were like some of the top listen to of where wine takes you. Nice. So I mean to have you guys both on one, that's gonna be pretty that's gonna be pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, we don't promote these motherfuckers. You know, you get Austin on there and he sends it out to his whole list of right. this, you know? yeah. <laughs> these motherfuckers. But that's good for me. I like that shit. Oh, I know. Yeah. We're not doing that. No, it's okay. Whatever. How, how many episodes are you up to now? This is like, like 68, 69. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. And that's I mean, awesome. we're, you are now on like a top 10 wine podcast in the country. That's cool. Like this, it's, well, it's, it's been really that way good. for a while. Huh? Yeah. It's really exciting. What's that's awesome. awesome. And it's... Um, who's who's ahead of you? Who do we got to replace? I know, huh? <laughs> it's mainly like the Wine for Normal People podcast. For some reason, the wine enthusiast one sneaks up there. It's, it's uh, um, who else? Uh, that Levy Dalton man. Oh man, that Levy Dalton. What's he got? That uh, I'll drink to that. That's a popular one. There's some popular ones, you know. And so never, we never still heard, we never heard of Levy Dalton. Yeah, we still got some more to to knock away. But look, we're doing it. And also, it's cool. It's like when you'll be walking around and like like Maggie Tellman told me that somebody literally came up to her recognized her voice oh, no way. from the podcast and said, oh my God, you're Megan Tillman, heard your episode, I'm already a wine club member now because of it. And like, so there's things like that. Yeah, that's cool. super cool. Yeah. So, wow, wine industry person of the year. <laughs> they ran out of people. Yeah. Man. It was just, that, was that, that was my line. I was already going to use it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Line, damn. <laughs> I know this guy too well. I have to try to preemptively strikes. <laughs> what did you, what was, I mean, that's still got to feel good, but I mean, obviously I know you don't relish in these types of things either. I've always trained my brain since I was younger to never like bask in any of that, to almost talk to myself and say, you know, look, moron, you didn't deserve that. Right. Or you, you could have done a lot better. Or So, yeah, listen, I, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's cool. It's it's my home. It's where my children grew up and were born. And uh, uh, at least Vivi, uh, you know, having this guy as a mentor. Uh, so, yeah, it, it it's a cool deal. But I, I don't look into it anymore except I, I always just still focus on, you know, my community, Paso, my friends, you know, I don't think about these things at all. I honestly never have. Well, I think one thing that you guys have done in your own ways, whether you guys, you know, look, there's there's like the Aberleys and those ones that have hit big and they're on shelves and have been doing it for decades. But you guys have always really promoted Paso and been all about like, you know, Paso to the core in whatever your own journey and path was. And I think people see that and I think it's it's really cool. You know, I mean. Yeah, especially for this cat. I mean, he could have, you know, he, he his brand took off so fast that there's, you know, he could have done projects anywhere he wanted. Uh, yeah, Paso's my home, you know? Yeah. So it was like, yeah. I, Did you ever think about that? Because you guys were tight with the Fetzers, and you obviously had friends from all over the place. And yeah. You knew and, farming at a young age. Yeah, and I've been approached, you know, with doing deals in other places and stuff. But no, this is my focus. This is my home. and. Definitely want to keep keep it here. Have you ever like done any like consulting or anything like that? Like even just kind of like oh. outside of the area? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I have. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And it's like, yeah, this is what I know too. I mean, it's yeah. not, you know, I, I've never thought like, oh, what I know I could apply to other parts of the world. You know, I'm pretty specific in what works here in this little teeny neighborhood we have and sticking with that and you're still learning too i mean that's what's so interesting it's like as every as, year is different yeah every year we get something new and try some new things and mother nature throws new stuff at us so yeah always learning what was the curveball this year i mean there was a lot of them huh 22 was with with uh 22 yeah, yeah they, that crazy heat 
screwed with everybody for sure. Just devastated. <laughs> yeah. It made the 10 days in 17, which until this year we had all talked about. <laughs> September oh, yeah. 1 through 10 and 17 was the worst thing that had ever happened. That was like child's play compared to what we had. <laughs> Shit was just melting on the vines. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it because mm-hmm. we're Paso, right? So we have these massive acids that people forget about that we have such gorgeous acidity that does this beautiful thing to our wines and makes them so beautiful and age worthy and bright and stable and and then oh well, yeah you can't pick it early yeah. you know the sugar's going up but your acid's like paint thinner you know so it's like you can't do anything it's yeah. not, you know where other places like yeah pick it before it gets too hot and get it off the vine but here it's like yeah, so no. in some cases you're bringing home things that maybe are like 30 bricks or more and mm-hmm. just nuts have there been certain things within the lab that are like Oh, wow, this is, this <laughs> never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. No, we had we had one tank of Grazion that we picked that was like 32 bricks with the pH of 2.9. Yeah, which is like insane. Yeah, you know, and we're like, mm-hmm, what do we do with this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with it? Uh, I mean, you 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 add water. Yeah. Um, and the nice part about our water here in, in, in West Paso, it's very alkaline already. <laughs> so it actually does buffer the pH a little bit. So, yeah, you, you do that and you hope that it's not very much for your harvest that it is that and get it to ferment through, get it dry. And then, you know, you've got a, I think we've finished with like 3-3, three, three, which is manageable, you know, so it'll go into small parts and blends and, and still be totally manageable. Do but, folks like you even sweat this out a little bit? Because I know oh, they yeah. say this is like a winemaker's God, no, vintage, but when we look at like, well, you're a badass winemaker, so it's like, do people like you just coast through this like Michael you, Jordan? Well, no? you got it. I mean, a lot of it was, it's nothing you can do. Right. You know, it's like, not like, oh, going to do some fancy trick I learned, you know? It's like, no, you just got to wait it out. And you know, a lot of our stuff, we, we pretty much had three three harvests this vintage. You know, there was like the stuff that was ready before the heat. You know, like our whites and stuff came off. And then there was, that was all done. And then the heat came and we're like, oh, what's well, not going to survive the heat? And it's close enough. Let's bring that in. And then there was another third that was like, it's way too far out. We're going to have to just let it go. So we let it hang through the whole heat. And then we actually went out in the field with little teeny scissors and just trimmed off all the raisins. And then we picked what was left and it was great, but we lost half the crop of yeah. that stuff, you know? So you're out there with like tweezers, <laughs> like from <laughs> six tests. We had lots of time, you know. Yeah. I was like, exactly. Yeah, like, do your taking, taking little yeah. raisins off here and there. It's Saturn, man. That's yeah. We could have, we could have. Uh... And, and by the way, Michael Jordan never coasted. <laughs> no, sure. <laughs> it, 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 but he made it look easy. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think you'll drink the twenty twos and think that right. Yeah. yeah, they came out as great wines. We we're working right, you know, these barrels that we're looking at in here, all oh, the 22s wow. that we're, we're blending up right now and tasting through them, and we're like scratching our head going, wow, this actually came out really good. Go figure. There's no raisiny flavors or weirdness. And it's- I was at Zap last weekend in San Francisco. I met the executive producer of the show, Fox's 911. Big wine guy. I love wine from all over California, but he just got on to your the Saxon list. list. Yeah, nice. seven years. Nice. And dude was just so <laughs> stoked. He cool. was like, dude, just got on him right now. I got to see which ones I'm able to get. And like, But he was like stoked. Man. Yeah, right? <laughs> Zap. God, I hate to go there and taste the 22s. Man. That is, is going to be a rough one. Yeah. So, I mean, we got a, two rippers here from Booker. Uh, what is the first one? I see an 06. We got a 19. Uh, Badger, are you talking about? 19, which was way... So, it's pretty funny. I brought these two 
intentionally. Uh, the Ripper normally lands about 14.8. It's mostly north phase, so it, it, it gets really ripe and the acid's perfect at a perfect alcohol level for me. I want to be in that range. I don't even mind a little lower as I get older and skinny. I can't absorb booze much, but uh, in the days when I was 185, 190, I made The Ripper, as you notice. It wasn't called Ripper. <laughs> it was The. The one and only. Yes, and uh, it's 16... Point four, like we just brought it in. No, 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 wow. no. It says that on the label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventeen yeah. three. Seventeen three. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, it was. Well, the year before, me and Justin tasted the Ripper out of barrel. Oh five was the first one. We were like, holy shit! So that day he took the labs to. Uh, Brenda and I show up the next day or he gave them to me to take and they got sent back to his probably fax machine or whatever and he goes we got some work to do came in at 18 but it's bone dry yeah. <laughs> and so we had to add because it was supposed to just be Grenache we had to add Syrah just to get the 05 down to 17.3 that's rocket fuel uh, so at least I probably beat that than when Justin was more on the behind the wheel uh, I out, I outdid him by a, probably a point, but again had to bring in uh, uh, Syrah to blend it down. So we had a sixteen four oh six, and then probably a fourteen six fourteen eight, two thousand nineteen. So was all the ganache. was the I couldn't remember. I know I know we made the O five at our place here. We made the O five and started making the O six. Did we make the O six some here and some at your place? We finished your winery in O six. No, or? we finished in O seven, so we moved it over there. So we we made the O six here <clears throat> and then took it over and bottled it at yeah. your place. One of those typical years where I was last on the table while you were at dinner, and I would look, <laughs> I would look in from the the winery into the house, and the whole family sitting around. Heather's reaching in the oven, pulling out like a enchiladas or something super warm. And I, I was always out on the crush pad alone because uh, Justin got his work done. And by the way, I had to help with his work. Yeah, I don't know about this story. Uh, it sounds like a badger story. I was on the, that freaking vibrating table. You your eyes come by well, a couple times. Of eyes bouncing around in the grapes. You're trying to pick out one raisin per 10,000 berries. And uh, then when he was all done, I got to go, and they'd always be eating dinner. I'd be in there cleaning. You could up. smell it like creeping out. Yeah, yeah. It's like the cartoon. Like in the, the little, cartoon, the yeah. smoke. We would just bring the dirty plates to him. And he'd right, yeah. Little out, leftovers. Yeah. But it Put them on the, the ground they outside occasionally, the cellar. He, he occasionally would do that. It. Right. But but that was only like one in six dinners. And the rest of the time, I'm just slobbering on myself, <laughs> just thinking, what's he got over there, you know? So this was, I mean, like 900 square feet. This was up on the hill by the house. Yeah. Uh, this eight, where you were 1,800 making? square feet. Oh. Okay. Hold on, it's not exactly. Okay, got you. Uh, yeah, so 05 uh, was the first booker. We built the winery, the, the, the Saxon old winery in 03 was the first vintage we made there. And then when did we plant your place? Like 01? So we planted his place 01. We got a little fruit in 04 from his place, but it wasn't enough for him to start booker. So we put it in Saxon. Um, and then 05 was the first year that he had enough fruit to to get things started. So yeah, we made 05 up there, made 06 up there. That was back in the in the heyday when Saxon was there, Booker was there, Via Creek was there. Terry Hogue. Terry Hogue was there. Dinner was there until 05. Damn. Hey, um, pour some out. Let's take a sip for Terry Hogue. Uh, because yeah. the, uh, retiring, yeah. huh? 20 years for him. Good, good on him. He, he was a great, uh, great wine, hard oh. worker, figured everything out. Yeah. I mean, he figured out how to take tractors apart, 
guy was a freak. Mm-hmm. Weld things up. Great <laughs> conversation. Like, I loved chatting uh, with him he, and Jen. He, he made his first wine press. Like, yeah, he's like, like, I ain't spending that money. You should do this. Yeah. Like, you know, so I'm he's like, like <laughs> I don't even know how to weld, but I'm going to figure it out. And he, he, learned, he learned how to weld, and he made his own wine press. Dude. Like, yeah. yeah. He, he, guy's, told me, guy's a he told me construction stories. Like, he made his mom and dad help in the heat of Scottsdale when he was playing for the Cardinals. <laughs> He'd work them to the bone. They're both there working, sweating. It was his construction company. It was three people, him, his mom and dad. Jen was doing real work. Probably. He's a great story. His whole story from... It's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable and how smart he is and how he would have been like, what, did you, what did you, where would, you, would you have done if, if we didn't go the path of football? And he's like, I was already set to get into like medicine and this, you know, like real big different things and interesting stuff like where his passion and paths was, you know? Yeah. High intellect guy, no yeah. question. He's a smart dude. So there's all these folks, I mean, this is like, did you even know this was going to be later on? Like uh, the Cool Kids Club. I mean, well, think of all those no, brands in there. Like, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, no, it's just all of our, all my friends who we were hanging out. You know, Chris Cherry at Via Creek was the was the hub. You yeah, know, he made all having, the intros. Having Via Creek as the winery, and I mean, as the as the restaurant, and and uh, that's where we just all hang out. So I yeah, met Chris, him at the bar there. Chris would be like, "Hey, uh, Justin Smith, meet uh, Eric Jensen. He's uh, he's new." So that in was the, area. the conduit, and then uh-huh. you meet Justin, and then it was in the bar. Justin was. Taking Chris a bottle to taste or something of uh, Lenny Collado, and we—I was sitting at a bar stool. It was just in the afternoon, and uh, and we met and exchanged numbers. And uh, he said, "Yeah, you guys should talk about uh, him planting the vineyard." And that time, I was with somebody else, and immediately I learned quick. Like I must—I'm thick and slow to the dance, but I—it didn't take me long to realize a had the wrong support cast, um, B, and they weren't, weren't wrong. They did well for other people, but wrong for where I, what I was trying to accomplish and that, uh, and that I had the wrong property. And uh, he, he didn't have the nuts to tell me. Oh, I did too. No. I you told didn't. you this property sucks. No. You said, well, that'll be our reserve area. Yeah, that was like after a that year of you, of you saying, this is my property. We're going to do something good. And me like shaking my head, being like, mm. How did you know? I mean, is this stuff like you learned maybe from your dad? Or how did you know aspects of property and this yeah, so no, well, I knew so this, early? I knew this property, you know, and and and. I knew the magic was coming out of this property because of where it was and its soil. So, yeah, in order to, you know, someone's like, I want to make a wine like you're making. I'm just like, you need to find this, this and that. You know, property by this. Yeah. The story and great interviews with uh, Bill Gibbs Mm -hmm. from G2 because he just like, 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 you know, you, he just tells it like it is. It's unabashed, just goes out. and, And he's got so many cool stories and, you know, shows so much deference to those early times with you because, I mean, look where he's gone and he's able to take that that marketing acumen he's got and turn you know just these sites mm-hmm. into something that has been blown up by yeah you know you and the, yeah. the farming and stuff but it's yeah it's all about the site where you start yeah you know, no matter. and the farming too i mean he yeah was, but he was like, you were really particular gotta, about how we farm this yeah you got to start with the right spot though. right no matter you know no matter how good your farming is if you got the wrong spot it's never going to be LeBron James was never stupid. He never went to a crappy team. He went to the smart ones always did. Tom Brady, when he was picking teams, didn't say, I'm going to go to this last place team. Right. The great ones always, listen, I know how great I am, but I'm not stupid enough to surround myself with crap. And uh, Justin had a knack. And, and we, when we found Booker, we, uh, God, I, Justin had kind of his own language in those days. And, uh, <laughs> He, I was working with 
uh, a dear, dear friend of both of us. Uh, we lost too soon, uh, Hugh Pitts. And I said, yeah, I'm working with Hugh. And he goes, oh, stanky. He goes, let's go. Let's go. We'll tell him to show us something. And I'm like, hey, Hugh, why do they call you stanky? <laughs> Stinky pits, you know, but I and Hugh didn't. I don't think Hugh picked up on it. Uh, he just refused to, uh, or refused to. Yeah, he's like, I, I don't know. What if I should stop and kick these guys' ass or not? Yeah, because he was thickness, man. He would have. He played football at TCU, and we pulled in and right away we knew. And so, like, I looked at Justin. He kind of looked at me, and he's like. Yeah, yeah, we went up to the top of that big, huge hill there and, like, looking down over the hills and, like, yeah, this is the spot. This is what you want right here. And this is before it was purchased or what? Before. when we, It was the first day looking at it, and we figured the soil pitches were going to be what we wanted, but you had every aspect. You had gorgeous hills. Um, right in the middle of the Templeton Gap, you know, yeah. wind blowing, blowing through there, cooling it off. It was like, yep, this is, this is a good spot. Yeah, because I was just talking to Randy Heinzen about a diurnal shift, and I know we preach about diurnal shift and the blessings from it, but he was kind of shedding, kind of in, in inverted light. I had not looked at it like this before. It's like, we always talk about diurnal shift, but the only reason diurnal shift makes a difference is because it gets so damn hot here. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, it's not ideal for it to get so hot, but thankfully we get that huge cool down at yeah. night. And that, it doesn't stay hot very long, which is right. nice. You know, right. so it's, it's all about how long it stays at that hot. It's not about the actual number that you see as the high it's yeah. like how many hours you're sitting in that yeah high. the grape doesn't care about well the grape uh, after a certain degree it does because all nothing helps after 108 i mean sprinklers nothing it melts but it's that those growing degree hours and at 230 like clockwork at both these properties you're up on one of the hills and you feel it sometimes a little earlier you feel it coming in, and I mean it. I remember always hearing the farm workers; they'd be like, ay, 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 ay. You know, <laughs> in the middle of a hot summer, they start like letting it out. Like, Thank God they can. How did you kind of learn? Because you evolved in your farming, because obviously you learned a lot from your dad and being on this site. But I mean, I remember when, when last time I talked to you, really great conversation. We talked about some of those things that you've done differently and that you've evolved in your own kind of path. Mm-hmm. Were, were there some other influences or were there some other, or were you just kind of seeing the writing on the wall with just, you know, mixing being a good steward with the way I see most things maybe panning out in the next 10, 20 years? Uh, where were the ways that you kind of got, you know, those other outside influences on your farming? Because it'll obviously influence a lot of other people. Yeah, I mean, that's a question with a hundred answers. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you're learning all the time from tasting other people's wines and what they're doing in different spots, and you know how they're doing it and how they're making it work, and and then you're experimenting all the time with what you do have and what works, what doesn't work, and what varieties work and what rootstocks work, and then you know, there's also you know being the good steward of the land, and when you've been around farming the same dirt for a long time you got to be doing it right or it's gonna go away what's a healthy percentage of the pie each year to kind of stow away for experiments so i'm gonna test this barrel with this i'm gonna test that with this and a good chunk for us for sure because that's the funnest part for me is it yeah it's still there's still so much to learn and so yeah we're you know as we went through today just these barrels laid out we're like different different barrels we want to experiment with different varieties different vessels and we're like okay let's leave this one out of the blend we're gonna we call them solos yeah so let's leave this barrel out as a solo so we'll track it through its age to see how it does you know so we're doing so, that so some people might never even taste it no publicly no. Or, the, or your you know no. your yeah, list. you have to barrel taste and then be like oh this is 
this is pure, you know, Tariga Nacional from Hearthstone Vineyards. So right. We just want to see what it'd be like, and it'll go in the big blend. It'll be a 10% of the blend, but yeah, this is the pure stuff. So yeah. it gives you an idea of, you know, what, what Tariga will do. How would you deal with things like that, Eric, as far as like, how much do we want to use what we're getting every year to kind of behind the scenes formulate what we will become? Well, I don't think any of us do it like that. We don't say, okay, we're going to allocate 10, 20%. You just, it just naturally organically happens. Like all of a sudden they planted fresh, clean, which is the big thing because we've all been through a couple cycles now of virus, Tariga Nationale. So you're like, okay, let's keep it solo and see how it tastes. You kind of do that in the winery. Like we do barrel trials with every barrel, with every toast. We do stem trials. We do, you know, micro ox trials. We do, we just do. We, we try to do everything. We try yeah. to do little stones in the tank at X, at this. In the barrel, we go from trialing. We In the old days when we were all together, we were leaving stuff in barrel for five years, four years. And I remember I was doing 48 months. I did some 60. But that's how we all were. Justin had been at it longer, and his dad had been at it a long time. And uh, an ode to Pebble who taught me so, so much about farming. I mean, I used to literally, when he quit taking my calls, I probably (laughs) called Pebble twice a week. And he was so angry at me, but he always answered. And he would always, then he would occasionally check back, like, how did that work? It would be like, you know. He wasn't angry at you. He just likes to argue. (laughs) That's his favorite thing to do. Well, he got mad if I didn't listen exactly right the first time. Oh, I told you. I told you. Yeah, and so we would always, but... We had a really good relationship where he taught me so many tricks, so many things to look for. But there was a lot of guys like that. Simon Graves was the same way. Uh, uh, Hillary is our head of viticulture and one of the best viticulturists in the U.S. And so we were all trying. Remember the stupid, we did some stupid trials. We were drying out our stems and this stuff we did, but it was how I learned. Learned. Yeah. Don't so try. everything that you saw. I don't think any of us allocate and say, okay, we're going to experiment with 20%. You just kind of organically see things. And then maybe a tank goes a different direction. Leave that alone. Don't do the blend yet. Let's see how this works out. Maybe you accidentally, you know, in the early days, shoot. We yes, a lot of it was accidents. Like, yeah. Like the first time we uh, co-fermented Roussan with the Bone Rock was just because we were selling Guillaume Roussan and he, we picked two boxes and he's like, I only want one box. And the same day I was picking Bone Rock. I was like, well, shit, I'm just going to throw it in the, with the Bone Rock, hurrah. And it was like, wow, that's the best Bone Rock we've ever done. Let's wow. continue doing that. And so it's like, yeah, sometimes it's And I'll guarantee you, he was so, he probably lost sleep that night. Like, did I just screw up Bone Rock? Mm-hmm. And so you go through that. And we still, you had asked a question earlier of him, like, you know, do you just coast through it? No way. He's still, every harvest, do I lose who I am? And that's, I think that's part of greatness. Never, ever, again, if we go to LeBron, if you go to a great corporate CEO, if you go to anybody in any industry, a musician, you never want to lose it, right? You're always going to question. And so every harvest, I think we're all still 
nervous about, okay, shoot, you know, what's Mother Nature throwing at me? And Yeah, you're still, I think, losing sleep. You don't just mail it in. Yeah, especially when you found out that Mother Nature, this one was like really humbling, even the, the best winemakers. I mean, this was really something. Yeah, no, like every, every morning I'd wake up first thing and read every weather report I could find to look for the lowest. when <laughs> is yeah. this going to break, you know? Yeah. Did you guys all kind of find popularity at different times in that in that space when you guys were all up at your winery or or was, was everyone kind of blowing up at the same time how do you remember it justin mm. well i'll chime in please I'll, I'll go on this one justin found it first so justin uh probably a, two years ahead of us all or a year no two uh, was it oh two you first so justin immediately out of the gate got Parker to taste his wine somehow. I don't know if it was here. No, I was just in the big... The random. Ran, the roundup yeah. that he would come to. And he liked it so much that I think... He called me up. He called. And then he came here And I remember personally. when you got the call, he called me after that. And it was like a celebration that we all won. You know, it was the biggest thing. And we caught his attention. Heather prepped and like, you know, thought he would want a charcuterie board. <laughs> like it was, a, it was like the biggest deal for all of us in Paso. Some other people might not say that, but it really, to me, was the the change of the winds for this area because we were always known. And 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 I hate to say this, but because I traveled a lot more than everybody else on the road. And they looked at us, I don't know if they were jealous or they looked at us as a joke, because a lot of them had visited and had fun, but they still like, oh, a bunch of overripe zen, blah, blah, blah. Most of it was ignorance, just not knowing, because they hadn't been tasting the right wines. And so when that happened, that was a massive deal for... Uh, was that the Paso. tide that turned almost like the birth of some of the cult wines here in Paso? Was that kind of like that yeah, tide that, was that the began it? Sure. Yeah, that was yeah. it. And it was, yeah, thanks to HDR. They're the ones that yeah. put together those tastings. Yeah. And, you know, so like bringing all these great producers from California together and then they got enough critical mass to get Robert Parker involved where he'd be, they'd be like, we're going to round up, you know, 300 of these awesome wines and you come out and taste them. And so, yeah, I got to Parker, Parker, there's no doubt. Parker really was the driver. He started it for sure. This area because Uh he gave Justin stuff. And I remember, shoot, I remember immediately after Parker blew Justin up, like Justin got invited everywhere. And so, well, I got invited everywhere because the wife's hung out. So that move, if they get went, it means we got to go and the kids. And so I remember Ann Colgan called you and invited you to do a deal in, at uh, Zaki's or one of the auction houses. She was doing a night of wine. Mm-hmm. And they, they, we paired cheese. And then that night we went to Luke. And, um, you know, Suzanne going to just open Luke. And, and uh, Jack, uh, Carolyn Stein was the new hot psalms she's still doing great and so that was really then talking about paso and the one great thing i learned immediately from both my mentors justin and stefan is they really talked about paso and it taught me immediately don't ever go and talk about booker always sell your area and so starting in probably oh four listening to him which might have been oh five but oh four oh five that's when i then learned that you know, you pump up, uh, you pump Paso instead of your own brand. But he got invited all kinds of crap 
I remember too one of the other first things at, at like that same time, Wine Spectator did an article on Paso Robles. Young Turks. The Young Turks of Paso. And uh, yeah, so it had me and Matt Trevison and Stefan Aseo and Matt Gerritsen. And uh, that was like at that the same time. That was a big deal. article. You know, big, big pictures, you know, when, yeah. It was a feature. Like yeah, it, it was, was a, a feature. Article. Oh, yeah. And that was one of those we all won, you know. Right. I got the chills thinking about it right now because I, I, I use that word now all the time. I, I remember uh, when it came out and it was like, me and Matt were still in our 20s, maybe 30. And then Stefan was like almost 40. He's like, look, he's not a young Turk. That dude's almost 40. He's old. <laughs> Hair growing out of his ears and nose. It's so crazy. Now I look back and like, yeah, 40 is so young. <laughs> I live in San Luis Obispo. I won't say the side streets because we, we probably did here before. But I live right there on the corner where Justin uh, was in that blue house in the back. Nice. And getting this all started and, and tasting wine, drinking a bunch of it with, with Trevi and stuff. And I'm so curious because right after the episode where I talked to you last here, it just happened to be my next episode was with Matt Trevison. Uh-huh. And I don't think I've ever, I don't know if you heard it or not, but it was so good because he was just so real. Such a blessing about having guys like the two of you here, Matt and whoever, you guys are just so real with me. And it was really, it was, you know, because we're talking about these times where things are just kind of, we're, we're babies. The whole situation mm-hmm. is new and we're on this journey. And that was a really, I mean, he was talking about really one of the, the hardest times for him and reflecting on a lot of regrets he had during that time. And um, you guys are doing Lene Colota together. And at some point, you know, you with all your experience here and him with this, this desire to want to do do something on his own he's like i want to make the wine here i want to do it this i want to do that and at some point you guys come to an impasse and we have to separate mm-hmm. yeah no and you know it totally worked out for both of us great well, yeah. you know and it's like we're still good buds and uh but yeah we're we each want to do our own thing and it wasn't like you know i'm gonna do the vineyard and he's gonna do the wine because you know we well, both want to do both yeah he want to do some vineyard and i want to do the wine you know so it was like you know let's just split and and then, so Saxon's really not even a thing then. It becomes a thing after that, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then how did you, how did the name come up? Um, so yeah, it was, God, you know, names, you know, it was, going yeah. through, going through a thousand names and, uh, um, I was fresh out of Cal Poly and, uh, I had studied botany and my concentration was the part of botany that's the naming of plants and it's all Latin based. And so a lot of plants that grow in the rocks are called saxa something saxifrage or whatever right and so they're like kind of so i was like oh my vines are growing in the rock they'd be kind of cool to base it on that and then i was like oh the the root of it all is saxum which means you know rocks yeah it's like oh fuck yeah that's a that's a good name solid saxum so yeah that's where god i hated it at first did you really why (sighs) it was confused saxum it sounded rough and physical and bulbous and Gummy. It's like, and, sounds like a rock. It's like it just sacks them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It almost sounds like a like a Decepticon oh, or boy. something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Took you about know? two rigs to you know grow, and then I'm like, "Fuck, that is pretty baller." You know. Yeah, and also having a word that a lot of people don't know, or certainly, I mean, this might have been before everyone's like searching for blank.com, but you know, having something that's very unique yeah. and very all your own, mm-hmm. it's like that becomes later indispensable. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still we kind of stumbled on that the, the first when we when I first started thinking of names you know um, I was going to start the whole program when I was splitting with Matt with just my bone rock block yeah. and those were the 10 barrels of each vintage that I kept so yeah the first idea was I was just going to be bone rock sellers or something and 
That was such an interesting episode, and I loved it because he was just so open about some of those, the, the harder times that he wishes he did things differently and stuff. I want to play a little little nugget of it. And whether oh, we, geez, you what, got it all queued up and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Damn. But, uh, and then just get your reaction. Now, nah, nah, let's go Let's play it now. Roll. Yeah, no, was, that these was, all tough conversations. That was not very much fun. That time of that period of time was was uh, not a fun period of time in my life. It's uh, it's a actual probably one of the least uh, favorable times in my life. Really? Um, yeah, because see, we're I was too immature and and to know. Um, you know, I'm fighting for everything. I had yeah. nothing, and and uh, I feel really connected to the wine because I I feel like I've done a lot on it, and I've and I've done a lot of work that isn't seen um to make it happen you know to appease the appease kenny volk and and you know to, to to make sure it's all right and i and i was just you know running on on uh coattails i guess in that way and i really think that um in the end i wanted to build i i, I was able to to get this property with uh with help of my wife and a first homeowner's loan and i wanted to build but in order to build we had to be able to finance but he wants to make it at his house and i want to make it in my house he doesn't want to work at my house i don't want to work at his house which is totally cool but but immature i was you know in the sense of not being able to balance it correctly and and say all the right things along the way and so i feel like uh um I feel like a lot of people got involved in it that shouldn't have been involved. It was like small town stuff that was like, what in the world's going on here? Like this is between two of us. Just leave it alone. And, uh, that's kind of, that kind of sucked to see that. But in the end, you know, uh, he's, he's my brother, you know, he's my brother from another. And, uh, I, you know, love him dearly. And that was just a snippet, but the, it was a really reflective time, and he, he spoke a lot of really, really cool stuff about you. What is it like to listen to that? No, nah, that's cool. And, yeah, he totally nails it. It was, uh, it was a divorce, you know? And uh, there's never, like, you can say a divorce that felt good, you know? It always has a lot, a lot of shit you got to go through to get to the right spot. But, you know, when you can look back on it and be like, yeah, that was the totally the best thing for both of us well, like do. growing pains right yeah and we both really benefited from everything i mean we wouldn't have been able to either one of us start without joining forces you know with with matt working at wild horse and me having the fruit um you know he had the place to make it and i had the grapes and like if i wanted to do it by myself i probably wouldn't have been able to you know i couldn't have, definitely couldn't have afforded a custom crush and he had that set up and he probably couldn't afford to buy fruit so yeah, we wouldn't have been able to start anything without joining forces, and you know, so we did it for four years and got to a good feel of it, and then yeah, it was time. I'm to- fascinated by the story. I think it's a real beautiful story, especially when you see where both brands are now. What are your thoughts? You were you were making some faces during that. What do you think? No, he was. Well, <laughs> well, when when Matt talks about it, other people getting involved, Eric, Eric was our divorce attorney. I was for, the mediator. For, it for, happened over the phone. It was a uh, okay. Hold on, Eric. It was like you know, call waiting. This was like landline. Oh my god, I'm gonna hold on the yeah, line. Yeah, he's oh got Matt on one line and me on the other line, and Eric's going in between about you know what we each want from the divorce, and and I'd like say something, and Eric would be like, hold on, and like hit go, hold, and like go, go over the line, and be like. And like, I'd be like, no, no, you know, and you're like, oh, hold on, and go back, back and forth. So yeah, it Eric, took, Eric was it took maybe one phone call, maybe two, but I had hung out with.
with both. So I met them both. And so I'm hanging around with Justin a lot as get the guy planting my vineyard, doing all this stuff. But obviously, we're all in the same group. So I started hanging around with Matt and, and going over to his house uh, and then helping him at Garrett's. And he'd be like, hey, I'm going to go process. You want to you know work the pitchfork and <laughs> get, get the fruit out of the bin? We didn't have modern technology. And so I was just trying to see two people that I was really digging at the time just solve us what, what what i thought was going to be simple i had seen these situations i had come from business i i had a few years on them uh maybe five and uh, head start in the business world so i had seen a lot of friends do this stories like this and they're all the same they needed each other to start so what matt and justin say is uh, there should be no shame or remorse but they're never easy in the moment. No. Great point. Great point. But neither one of them were going to get to step two, which was inevitable for both of them. They were both going to have their own deals. They both had their own properties. Mm -hmm. They were both going to do their own deal and have a state fruit. And so uh, negotiated it. It was simple. There it went. And uh, both have these legendary brands that are, you know, Paso's so proud of. And uh, both of them have done just, you know, just such an unbelievable job. Great. The, the kids are freaking incredible and uh, both great parents. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Thanks for talking about it. He spoke highly of you. And I want to play a little bit. We opened the 1998 uh, wine that you guys First made together. One. Yeah. This is a 1998 yeah. Nene Coloto, James Berry Vineyard. Yeah. 90% Syrah, 5 Grenache, 5 Maved. This was made by you and Justin, the back of the bottle. I've yeah. never seen this before. Partnership of the Smith and Trevis and Families. Yep. Templeton, California. That was a long time ago. The wine so. tastes great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's fun to revisit. When we made these wines back then, Yeah. it's, it's just a, a, a liquid photograph of, of a time period of an experience that we had a journey and a, a starting point and it means a lot to me to see it every every uh, so often it was a great and beautiful line yeah no that the 98 and the 99 have held up great to, you know they're nice cool years too and um yeah no the last time i visited 98 or 99 they were both Drinking a lot better than this 06 book. <laughs> what does this tell you? When you, get to, when you get to have, when we talk about these old vintages, here's an 06 that tastes, you know, they hold up. Paso ages beautiful. Paso ages, well, this wine would have aged a lot better if it wasn't in the 17s and didn't have VA uh, at an exorbitant level. But the great thing is through the VA, which most consumers don't taste, oddly enough, it's crazy. Like, I know you get this. I'll get a text from some of my, those early vintages that I'm like, man, that had way too much VA going in the bottle. Like, oh my God, this thing's singing. I mean, VA could be a A helpful helpful helpful, lift. Yeah, especially early. But the one thing you see in these wines every time, and I've had that 98, the fruit on this wine, even though you got to battle through a little bit of VA and, and obviously the booze, the fruit is still like had I made this oh, with the tannins are great. Still, tannins yeah. are this wine's held up. It's not brown. I've opened a bunch of I'm not gonna mention names. I've opened a bunch of the most famous names in Chateauneuf before, uh an 05 and 06 of one of my favorite, and had maybe it was bottle sickness, but uh, where it was brown, right? Grenache yeah, is that didn't come back. Grenache is already sensitive to oxidation as it is. Uh, oxygen and so 
the, the, the fruit of this held up. I just, you know, going back, that's one of those things I'm like, damn it, could I have just made it at 15? Five. I don't know. I, and gone into the bottle at I think uh, eight, eight. it tasted great, though, out of the out of the shoe. Oh, out of the, and you for know, five, six like, years, it yeah, was if, if mesmerizing. You had, if you had bottled it less ripe, um, it probably wouldn't have been that good of a wine, and people would have been like, eh, that's fine, as opposed to, ooh, yeah, that's good. And I remember the 06s at a barrel tasting them uh, when we just moved them from here to there. And I had people tasting, like, I, I still had probably six months to age. And they're like, you could bottle these right now. And I didn't know if that was a good sign. I was too young in winemaking. Like, shit, maybe I should just bottle these now. Maybe, you know. Uh, but that, that's when I knew, holy shit, over the next X amount of years. And sure enough... I got it. But then I started getting all this love with the Spectator and with Robert Parker. And uh, actually, Justin is the one that introduced uh, the wines to Parker as well. So, another. And that's huge because, I mean, there's a lot of great wines in Paso. And if it's almost like there's a lot of great musicians. If you don't hit that right path, and there mm-hmm. might be... There might be a little teeny bit of luck and just time and space opportunity when it all collides the right cool. way. Cool, that's yeah. No, yeah. It, it totally, there's a lot of parallels with like music and how like, you know, whether you're, you know, 60s in San Francisco or something or, or you know, mid 60s in England where like all of a sudden there's this everybody working together and the whole new kind of sound emerges. Yeah. yeah. That, that era. And that literally happened here. Is, yeah. Huh, That's totally. so cool. But the, the most important thing as you guys talk about that is no different than that coalescence in the sixties in Liverpool. They, they, Seattle in the Seattle, the 90s, yeah. Seattle in 90, 88 to, you know, 94. They, they still had to be great. Mm. And like, so I've had a couple young guys. I think maybe me and you talked about this before. A lot of the new guys, oh, they just right place, right time. They got lucky. Oh, so we've been then getting lucky for the next 25 years. And so you still have to. Yeah, we definitely, with me, him, Chris, Stefan, Scott, Holly, with that group, with Matt, we definitely struck lightning in a bottle in this area. We made a wine that, people flocked here for there's no question people weren't seeing in other places too you know something new and unique and different but we had to carry that then for another two three decades you couldn't be a one-hit wonder yeah and so yeah exactly yeah while we power while we caught that we were you know young guys will talk to me and i know he gets talked to a lot okay so that happened how do you how do you keep it going well you don't cut corners you grind you're in every vineyard you're seeing the fruit. You're trying new things. You're tasting other wines nonstop to see, you know, where cool new things that you might want to do are going. Kind of what we talked about earlier. So uh, it's just like with the music, and you know, there's always a lot of bands that kind of come out with the same sound, but yeah, then they don't have the staying power. But yeah, it does shake out to the ones that do, and they become. 30 years later, you can listen to him and be like, yeah, that was a banger. How do you manage your mentoring, both of you guys? I mean, I'll ask Justin first and then, and then Eric. I mean, obviously, you got interns that come through here, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that want to pick your brain, ask you questions. Uh, how do you manage, like, you know, just kind of, you know, I, I met people in here, was a Dylan or this or that, or just different guys who just like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm getting a chance to make my wine in here or do something in here, make help make this wine in here. And it's, it's important that they just want to absorb it all. How do you kind of manage that mentoring? Do you feel like a responsibility do you like doing that yeah I, I love i love it i love being a teacher 
I mean, we're a small place, so we don't have room for a ton of people. But yeah, we always try and bring on, you know, four or five people every harvest and have them help out and yeah, teach them what we know because it's all pretty pretty basic. I think that's what always blows their mind is they're like looking for they come and looking for the secret, and it's just right. like super simple winemaking, and they're like, wait. <laughs> Where's where's the magic come from? Well, where does the special sauce come from? Obviously, the vineyards, of course. But like, once it hits concrete and once it in, it's in here, are there certain aspects that these people will learn from you, or that you maybe you taught, you know, Colin, your son, or just like, hey, this is one of these things that are pivotal in just giving it that signature thing that people love about us. I think it's it's tricky because it's not measurable. You know, you can't say like, oh, it's got to be this acid and this, you know, alcohol and this amount of new oak or whatever. And it's, it's like uh, when you're cooking in the kitchen and you taste something and it tastes right and you're like, or you taste it and you're like, oh, it needs a little more salt. It's kind of hard to say like the recipe may call for, you know, a teaspoon of salt, but you taste it and it doesn't taste right. That's kind of the trick is being able to taste it and know like, oh, it needs a little of this or a little less. You got to feel that. Yeah. I think the great ones, that's what separates. You know, like he's doing blends right now. We're doing blends right now. Um, and you you just know. I, I was where I started to evolve as a winemaker was when I could literally walk in and I'd, I'd have, have him put all the blends. Once I finally was able to hire somebody, I would then walk in and say, I want all of this out. And and I, I'd give them my first three trial blends, almost just it was just all out of the head, and I was always so close. And then, but I had an innate ability to say, this needs you know on the Bordeaux, this needs one percent more Petit Verdot, this needs you know a half a percent. Let's start with a half percent and do a half and a one trial of Grenache. And obviously, that's where he was so great at. And they say where Michelle Roland's greatness always was. Stefan would tell me old stories when they were back in Bordeaux. Monsieur Cambi. Uh, Cambi the same way. And RIP, where you get to the point. And, but remember, that's just Justin's palate. That's just my palate for my style of wine. The greatness of this whole beautiful ecosystem that is the wine world is what you drink, I may not drink. The, the whites and reds we all drink, we may not, I think we all share a love for the great ones. Like that, it's hard to, you know, when you open, you're like, this just fucking rips. But other than that, you kind of got your own house. And that's the best thing I learned from him is it's yours. You, you do what you want with it. This is, I make Saxon. Don't, he used to get people early days. You remember this. I just want to make 5,000 cases. I just <laughs> yeah. want to make 10,000 cases. This is back when we were making 500 cases. Yeah. You know? right. They're like, they're like, this is the wine I want to make, but I'm going to make 5,000 cases of it. And be like, okay, you go for that, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's, uh, you, when you mentor people, you tell them, I know we do, and I know he was the, always instrumental in this, and Stefan was the same exact way. You're going to, and Juan Mercado, I remember at the dinner table, we were all fighting, and Everyone was beating me up a little bit, the new guy. And Juan came to kind of my rescue. We were in the... Uh, the At my dinner table? The bar, bar. Yeah, it was Pax and just a bunch of people. And it was the year I was launching. And I didn't have a definitive answer of what I was going for. Because I'm like, I'm just going to kind of figure it out. What I like and what I what comes off the property. And and uh, Juan was like, You'll, you're going to figure out your style. And so I tell 
when I'm mentoring someone young, find what you like. Don't make what Justin makes or what or what you I think make. people want or for that matter what robert parker or jeb yeah, dunning no, no you gotta make no. what you make mm-hmm. what someone's gonna find you the consumer always does uh, and, and so the, what we both did is we just made what we liked and figured people would find us and i've always said that same thing and i tell the the youngsters that just find make what you like and they'll follow you and, and yeah and, have passion with it yeah if they if they believe the story and uh, that, that's the what we get justin better than any place in the world we get the best people and that's the uniqueness of paso will never be replicated uh, in a wine country we get dreamers so you had stefan come here with a dream leaving bordeaux you had justin's parents leave san diego with a dream and then justin follow it with a dream of his own you had travis and sleeping in a car came here with a dream you had the cherry family think that they found paradise you had the jensen family believe we found paradise so we we we're every single one of us we were all living in these beat up homes justin's uh uh, grandpa built their home with his hands i believe Mm -hmm. stefan was in a single wide i was in a triple wide i was the fanciest me and cherry (laughs) he came from money he had la money (laughs) i i did i I was poorer than all of us by a long shot i just happened to be in business had a little bit of success parlayed that money here what nobody knows is that I went broke very quickly and I was kept borrowing from the bank and they were kept they were stupid enough to keep loaning it to me but I always made my payment I always knew I had to make my payment so all the money I came here what I lost on 9-11 because I put it in the market thinking I'd do the patriotic thing most of it I lost and so I had enough money to buy the property but I didn't have money to pay myself a paycheck never told my wife this in all these years I kept kind of scamming the bank to just lend me more money say well the project will fail and you'll lose everything and they did and i had a great partner on the vineyard phil that he would change banks every three weeks too uh, <laughs> <laughs> the little bank would be like no yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you go down the street and find another bank but but when i found the right bank i i was with him for you know the next 17 years uh but i found a good banker and i did leave wherever he went because he always believed in me and so that was game changing so I don't know if we've gotten off target with this. No, this is just a, this is a rolling conversation. Seventeen five one. I'm already drunk. When you, <laughs> by, by, by the way, Justin, the white the white is fucking banging. Uh, thanks. And, and by the way, I want to hit on this real quick. This white reminds me of why we're yanking our veal, which is virused anyways, mm-hmm. uh, and this has clean Rousson in it. Uh, clean Rousson and, and bright GB. You know, all yeah, that acid comes. Gotta have it. Blanc. Viognier is to me. I, I'm just getting rid of it. It just is it, overtaken every blend it's gone into. Yeah, we don't use any of it. We use actually the only Viognier we have here. We use in our red confirm in, yeah. in like a you know one and percentage. That that was what we started doing because what it would do, you'd put five percent in, and it would overtake the entire wine. Wow. You'd be like, oh, this is a yummy Vio. It's like it's only five percent because it's heavy because it's heavy it's because so it's aromatic uh-huh. too it's like uh-huh. the and it's something about the way it changes the whole mouthfeel texture you yeah. can taste it too even it's i'm not really sure what it's not an acid thing or a, it's just yeah it the density of viognier it has more glycerol and so it it does weight a wine and gives you a gorgeous mouthfeel but you got to take the baggage with it and it's a grape that's never it struggled to make it. There's still a lot of people holding on to it. I held on to it forever because it was such a small part. But uh, as 
the Rusong got further and further virused, which we tore out, you know, it, it overtook more and more. Every year, the, the virus, you know, crippled the Rusong more. The Viognier Shorts had more, more, more. So moving forward, we are, we have parted ways uh, amicably. Kangaroo, <laughs> do the heavy lifting. So this, uh, this part of the vineyard that we're looking out through the windows right here, this like ridge line, was the uh, first Viognier in Paso originally when John Alban, that when that block was Chardonnay back in the 80s. And uh, he had, his, had my dad graft over, I think it was six rows of uh, the Chardonnay. Actually, I think it was part of the Pinot Blanc side. Um, and so, they, yeah, right there, that was the, that was the original Viognier. No but way. After we pulled that out, we didn't plant any more Viognier. <laughs> how, many more, how many varieties we got here at James Berry Vineyard? Oh, I don't know. Got quite a few. Over a dozen? Um, probably. Yeah. Probably around that, yeah. Because we have a lot of smaller blocks, too. Well, and that goes back to what we talked fun about, stuff. the fun of what we do. It, it's just fun well i remember last yeah. time you had me in the that truck that you guys the old fetzer truck that you guys yeah. souped uh-huh. up. Toyota. And, yeah and driving down you're like oh that's that's my dad's like he's like his, his experimental row, yeah. row you know his, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that's pretty he's, cool and he's still doing crazy experiments is he like, yeah he did some nitrogen immersion uh fermentation this year it was like he's he's trying to get papers right now out of spain like the only people that done research on it were in spain and he's like trying to order them through saxon he's like texting me every day so i'm trying to get him to send me these papers so if you get anything, relay it to me. I had some stuff on that. Let me see if I can find it. That's so interesting. Now, when you guys were all... Strips phenolics, I, that I know, at, at high levels. When you guys were all, you know, kind of coming up, obviously no one gets into this for like an acquisition or anything. Did you ever, one of you think, who would be the first one? I mean, what were your thoughts when you heard about uh, Eric's and exciting news and things like that? Um, you were know. abreast. You were the only one abreast yeah, of it the yeah, whole time. But, yeah. I came to him early and just said, hey, this is what's going on. And- is that what? style you're like oh man that's that's wow that's congratulations that's yeah no like he he was definitely i don't know when you when you switched gears to like decide that that's what you wanted to do but yeah like midway through you're like i'm gonna Eh, about eight years ago i got Uh pissed Uh i got pissed at the kind of sugar wines and it was just we had all grown up in such kind of a, a bubble Right. Like we weren't in the real wine world. Right. Where he always just said that was funny. He'd like point at Steve Pack because Pack was always around. Right. Uh, if we had a party because he worked with your dad, they knew each other. And you're like, he's the real wine. That guy's got to make <laughs> he's got to make three million cases. We're dicking around over here doing punch stones with our hands and open barrels. You know, we think we're winemakers. Um, and. I would see, and then I became friends with Steven, and he had always had a chip on his shoulder about seeing a lot of the success a lot of the Smoke and Mirrors wines had, had received. And for purposes of, you know, not ostracizing myself more than I already have throughout the United States, I won't say anything, but it really made me mad. And at the same time, I got mad about Napa's pricing. Like we He's talking just- about, he's talking about, let's... We're not saying any names, but he's talking about mainly adding sugar to wine to create that mouthfeel that became such a thing maybe 10 years ago. Sweet red wines. You right. can't really tell they're sweet. They're not like sweet, but that's like, oh, you you know, like a right. two buck chuck kind of a thing. Where sure. you're like, oh, yeah, I like that. That's smooth. I want another sip of it right now. <laughs> yeah. So like back in the old days, you couldn't do that because then it would turn into VA and it would be a big problem. But with the modern technology, they're able to you know make it clean and make it sweet and have everybody like it and it became a formula and you know and a lot of wineries brands started cranking that stuff out and people lost sight of what 
real wine. And there's always a difference between, or they're not always, but there is often a difference between what's good and what's popular. And you guys were doing 90s grunge and real music when there was just like boy bands on the shelves. Shit, we were on... Yeah, we were on tractors. I was B.A. and Guillaume, you know, and his hairy, beastly body over the hill. And, you know, we, I, I remember I thought it was a joke the first, like, 10 times I called over here and Heather would say he's out on the tractor. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, just like he, I, it, to me, it was a joke. He was like, he's on a tractor. What are we, in Iowa? And then I get out here full time. I'm like, hey, he's on the tractor. And then I drove the tractor. 13 hours a day. We were small operations, right? We did everything. You farmed, and then you came in, and you did all your own sprays, all your own mowing. You did all that, and then you came and made wine. So we just came up. I came up through a different lineage with him and Stefan. Uh, Terry did the same thing. Terry Hogue was on a tractor, and and we all kind of came through that. And then to see, I, I was... It wasn't jealous. I was outraged. I was angry. Like, and at the same time, I was angry about the Napa pricing and like we weren't getting any press and they were only paying attention to these brands at scale. And so that's when I came up with the concept. I'm going to make a dry wine. I'm going to scale it and I'm going to go head to head with these guys. And that, that was it. That, cha- it that, that hit me in the head. And so I, it took me years to put it together, put the team together. I had all consultants and that was it. Kind of on the DL, like you're kind of just doing it. Like, no, I was open about oh, it. Oh, really? I okay. was trying to grow my favorite neighbor into a powerhouse. And then I was on the East Coast, and they're like, hey, you know, th- this is still expensive wine for a mainstream wine. And that's when I had the idea my mom and dad would have never been able to afford this wine. I got to make a wine at a lower price point that they would have been able to drink. And so I created Harvey and Harriet, a $30 organically farmed, legit, bone dry, uh, very hard wine to bake. Yeah. Eric Jensen, uh, Justin Smith. Justin, I'm sure people have like rang your phone talking about brand acquisition, things like that. Have, has that ever happened? Or I rang his phone. Just did you badger. really? <laughs> Every year. I, I rang like, his phone. Uh, you want to sell this year? Uh, yeah. To you? To you? You want to buy Saxon? Or you, are you calling? He knows money? the people. Oh, he I see. He knows the people that look for those things. I know okay. the people that know the people. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. Come on. Uh, so Grenache. Grenache was. <laughs> Would you ever? No, no, no. To, to me, yeah, it's you know, my it's family well, farm. I got, I got my kids working for me that are gonna, and I've got my my parents that are still living here. You know, I I'd I'd like to see it continue on generational for sure. And now you know. I mean, it seems like Colin and I mean, yeah, Colin's here. Colin's here. I walked so, in the door. Yeah, and the first super person into it. Yeah, and hugged me was yeah was uh, Colin. So I was in a different situation. Justin grew up in it. My kids grew up only as, as Booker started becoming, you know, this, this brand everywhere we went being seen in restaurants. And so they wanted to carve their own path. This is a legacy. This is, and there was times I was jealous, uh, not jealous, but just like, God, I just wish, but I also take pride in the fact that, okay, they're going to do their own thing. It just was the hand that I got dealt, right? Justin and his, his dad and mom had this vision, and then Justin had his own vision, and Colin's going to have his own vision, and that's like a dream, you know? But with me... As a dad to see like as, you know. as a dad, it's a dream. But it's also a dream as a dad to have your kids then just be happy, and they do all what chose they want to do what they want to do. Julian wanted to become... For Stefan, that chef. Antoine wanted to become uh, 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 astrophysicist. Chloe wants to run the estate. So I remember the, uh, the Utsin boys, they went away and wanted nothing to do with it. And they came back about 26, 28. And then they wanted to 
start their own deal. So I still have that hope laid out, but Jake wants to be in finance, Max in the music industry, and Vivi's a freshman at Notre Dame. So it hurt a little bit at first. And then when the kids said, we talked to the kids about it. They said, Max, after he realized kind of how much we were worth, he's like, well, maybe hold on. <laughs> let's just see. Let's just let cooler heads prevail. But uh, Jake and Vivi were like, no, Vivi wants to probably be in fashion and marketing. And, and so that was, I, I was proud of that as much as I was hoping for the other answer. I became equally as proud that that is what, uh, what happened. Soda Grenache, that beautiful spice and 19 brought that. And so this is a hundred percent Grenache. I went to a hundred percent Grenaches. I started, uh, cause I used to do that as you know, as a blend. I just wanted, I like, like Justin knows this when you, you have to be careful when you make like five Syrahs. Like you want them to be site specific. You got to be, you'll go sometimes to Napa and you'll taste five different cabs in a tasting from the same producer. You're like, I, I don't. They're all the same. I don't taste the day. And that's no disrespect. That's the hand they got dealt. So I, I, what he does such a great job of what I learned immediately at Booker, after about 06, a lot of my wines tasted the same. And I think I went into 07 and said, I have to make sure each one tastes different. When you open a Saxum, the Hogue is, I, we just had a 10 Hogue there that it was banging uh, uh, Saturday. A guy in Georgia brought it. Nice. Um, their, their characteristic of, is of sight. And so I learned pretty quickly um, from him that, okay, I need to differentiate these wines. So that's why I went to Ripper just saying, hey, this is going to be Grenache. I kind of want it to be a lot lighter because I came out with Oblier, which was then a GSM of Grenache base, where Vertigo was a Grenache or a GSM of really Syrah heavy base. I needed to make them different. It's a beautiful wine. I, uh, I do. I love Grenache. This is a beautiful wine. Grenache and Syrah are what made us uh, famous. This guy is the one that did it. Um, I remember when Stefan was afraid to just do it. You remember those days? Of Grenache? Of Grenache, of Syrah, of everything. He didn't want to make a Syrah. Mm -hmm. Everything Stefan did, he had to blend. He was just too nervous. And then all of a sudden, he starts making some varietal stuff going. I used to hammer him like, dude, your stuff, like, what are you talking about? I love Grenache, you know. Yeah, of course. And, you love, yeah. and it does Paso is, de Grenache the best? In, in my opinion, yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love Spain and French Grenaches, but what we do here is, I think, worldwide unique. I'll go out on a limb and say yes, Paso does Grenache better, even than kind of our homage. Yeah, I mean, I think CDP because, but, but yeah, I, I think it, they flipped to start making more our style at one point, but they so don't have long. the acids that yeah. we do, um, which is keeps it bright and elegant and refreshing. You know, Priorat can have have the acids like we do, and I think there's probably some comparable Priorats to what we do, but I think as as a whole and what we're doing here that it's. I love what York Mountain is doing with Grenache. Yeah. And you're, you're going to be putting a lot up there in your York mm -hmm, Mountain spot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Um, but, yeah, what, one of the cool, neat aspects of the York Mountain site is it has, yeah, the decomposed sandstone as opposed to the shale. Is York Mountain the, uh, the, one of the first times you've been super excited about something new as far as terroir around uh, here? Well, we had our coastal planting on Old Creek. Oh, sure. That uh, we started bringing in in 21. So yeah. 
that I'm over the moon about awesome. um, the the first vintage it you know the 21 and still got a couple years for it. Well, that'd be like it. slow coast AVA. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. It's cool. slow coast. I think the York is the first time I'm going to be dealing with sandy soils. Yeah. And so I'm super excited about that. It's different. The sandy up there is decomposed sandstone as opposed to alluvial sand, which is totally different. And usually those don't hold acid, but up there they do. So I just feel like in the next, I feel like 10 years from now, we're going to be sitting at this table and talking about York Mountain in a completely different way. Like, yeah. I think we already are. I think. Yeah. And it has been happening. Mm-hmm. York Mountain is definitely. I mean, Russell from uh, Epic. Uh, a lot of Epic. A lot of the people have been doing it and bragging. Kevin, who he was. <laughs> Royal Nunsuch. Right. Anthony, right. Yeah. Anthony. It is. Uh, Justin's a little deeper than all of them. Um, you're probably the deepest we have right now in our kind of group, right? Deepest. In York Mountain? Deepest into York. Oh, like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, the farthest back. Farthest yeah. to coastal. Uh-huh. 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 Oh, uh, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's the most northern, but I don't know. I, uh, I think probably the epic side is a little more close to the coast, but I mean, it's such a tiny AVA. Right. It's all, they're all super It's crazy. Close. I was talking to Gary Everly. He was talking about how that AVA got formed and the dude they were talking about is they were putting Paso together and he was just like... Max Goldman was uh, uh, York Mountain. We're drawing up, we're creating the Pastorables Appalachian, and we included what is York Mountain. And, you know, you have to get everybody to sign off on it and everything. And Max says, no. And and we're, me, Tom Martin and Vic and Herman, we're all going, oh, come on. I said, Max, I said, I tell you what, we will create this little tiny Appalachian it will be York Mountain. It'll be your own Appalachian. You're separate. It's a very small little Appalachian. It's tiny. And that was how we got Max to sign off. On the Passaway VA. Yeah. They have a chance to be incorporated in the Passaway VA, and there just there wasn't yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's unique for sure. It's yeah. smart. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's completely different than stuff down here. I mean, yeah. the Willow Creek area is definitely, I mean, it abuts the York Mountain. Yeah. Um, but York Mountain is truly mountain. You know, we're down here, we're rolling hills. Um, we're up there, yeah, it's 2,000 foot elevation, but it's 2,000 foot elevation on the, a mountain as opposed to... 2,000 foot elevation in yeah. some hills. I'll say some nice things about Eric. He's the wine industry person of the year. <laughs> I got some text about it. I'll probably put it in the narrative part so I don't bore you reading nice things uh, that people said about you because I know you're not, re- you're not really into that, which I, I like that about you. Uh, no, don't, don't lie. You don't have any text that say <laughs> nice things. You're, <laughs> go. you're going to go make some stuff. Why would, you give this, why would you put a ball on a tee for this guy? Usually I do it because I'm always drunk or he is and then he, of course, always swings at it. So don't, don't help him right no. Uh, keep moving. Keep, what's the next topic? Well, no, I mean, no, we, I've had you guys for over an hour. I don't want to take too much of your time. I'm just so thrilled that you guys even sit down with me still. It, it really means a lot because uh, you mean a lot to me, Justin. You mean a lot to me. The fact that you, you give me time to, to do this and to share your stories means a lot to me. And I know someone listening, like they tell me, they write, they comment, like they feel like they're sitting right there. No, thank, thank really you cool. for coming. Yeah. And yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely overdue for Eric. He's been such a cheerleader for Paso Robles for so many years. I mean, nobody is out there more days a week talking about Paso, you know, up and down the coast and across the country. And yeah, he's he's our greatest cheerleader right now. So it's it's overdue award. You've always been um, really genuine and really kind in the way that you've, you know, 
talk to me, ask me questions about, hey, where, where are we doing? What are we turning this into? And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I think Wine Industry Person of the Year, I think it's a, it's a multifaceted thing to earn. And from someone in my little slice, uh, I mean, I can, I just say it, it's so deserved. So I think it's, it's really cool that you're going to be getting that award tomorrow. I'd like to quit talking about this shit right now. <laughs> All right. This is extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> but of course, we're always going to do your show. You've been an unreal, speaking of cheerleaders, you got a top 10 podcast. You're one of those characters we talked about. You know, you had this guy driving a beat up flatbed with gun racks, the blue. We just call them blue. Blue's still rolling. I don't know if you noticed and blue as you came in. Blue's still there. We got all these characters. You're one of those characters. I mean, you were one of the first, you know, when uh, when you guys had started Cork Dorks. And so we're always excited. Uh, you've been a great cheerleader for us. And you've allowed us to, you've been a, I think we're all, we have to remember and, and I always try to remind myself of this. We're all just these little links on a bike chain, right? There's the day you think you're more important than anything or anybody, you've, you probably better get in back in your own head because you're not. I, that's the greatness of us. We're all, we keep each other very humble. Like we're pretty painful to each other. Like we talk a lot of shit, like, you know, Justin, Unfortunately, is he, I, and I let him pound me. I don't hurt him too much because of the mentorship, but uh, he puts a lot of softballs out there. We're all just a little spot of making this place awesome and special. And I, I'm just going to say this. I don't see a bunch of people moving to other regions, uh, other winemakers. From Paso? No. Uh-uh. But, all, but I see all these other regions <laughs> moving here and doing projects, y- you know, you can count the projects in other regions around the world and other regions in the state that Paso people are going and doing on one finger. <laughs> Forget the hand. Well, it's funny because a while they were getting fruit from us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was Cab or Zen, And now it's like, no, they're coming here for, yeah, for the terroir. Yeah, and we're like, you know what? Every year, that's the best fruit I get every year. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I not just doing that fruit? And it's yeah, incredible. They move on down here. Might we be able to end this interview to celebrate Eric, of course, with, where did I put it? Oh, geez. <laughs> Three shots of tequila. <laughs> Would you be down for a shot of tequila? Uh, no, I'm, let's go. I, I will I'm tell down. you. I will tell you something I learned, and that is that Lisa just found this out. Most of the little bottles they sell are not actual booze. They're I just read this liquor. I know. I just read this on um, so that they can sell show. them in gas stations. And yes. uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. Okay, so but listen, I, I just read this article on my morning show, and it came out of Fireball. It, Fireball, because Fireball is you know it says Fireball whiskey, but because there's certain states that don't allow, like Eric noted, for liquor to be sold in gas stations, they wanted these to be sold in gas stations, so they just call it Fireball Cinnamon. But I can guarantee you, I promise, this is 100% tequila. <laughs> this is Casadores tequila in a small little miniature bottle. Cheers, boys. Cheers to Eric To Jensen. the Badger. To the Badger, where wine takes you. That's a first, baby. <laughs> Cheers, <laughs> boys. Great to be here. Give me that sound. We'll get by. We bounce all around till the job is done. out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Wow, so good. I have to be honest, I was a little nervous when I brought up that Matt Trevison audio to play for him. He rolled with it so good, though, like such a pro. And I'm not a gotcha guy 
when it comes to interviews, and they must know that. And Matt's take was so deferential to Justin and that time. And what an important time for Paso's future. Like, we didn't even know that then. A future we didn't even really grasp was being sculpted in that moment. I just love that. I loved that chat. Thanks to Eric Jensen, and congrats, my man. And thank you so much to Justin Smith for opening up your spot for us to chat so openly. Wow, what an episode, huh? Well, I don't know about you, but I need a drink. You feeling like a cocktail? Me too. I have just the place for you. Maybe even places. Today's Travel Paso Spotlight is with Donovan Schmidt. He and his cousin Troy Larkin, they own Fish Gaucho. Super popular spot. Also, Pappy's right on the park. Just there last week. Also, behind Pappy's, the cocktail Speakeasy 1122. It was actually named Top 50 Hidden Bars in the U.S. Pretty cool. And their newest joint, Cane Tiki. You just got to check it out. Let's introduce you to Donovan and these great spots you need to try the next time you're downtown Paso. Hey, Donovan, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful, Adam. How are you? I am good. I'm so glad you jumped on the podcast with me. Now, look, I mean, Pappy's, of course, right along the park. And then, I mean, Fish Gaucho has been a popular restaurant for years and years now. It's exciting to kind of have these places in Paso that people have known for years. But what you're doing with 1122 and King Tiki, both completely different in personality and we'll get into both. I mean, it's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. We just had our first year anniversary at Kane Tiki. Can't believe a year went by so fast. Um, it was a great first year in 1122. I think it's on our fourth or fifth year now. Okay, let's talk so, about both of these. 1122 is this speakeasy behind Pappy's. It's unlike anything you've stepped into. Super exclusive, super high-end, but the hospitality is top-notch. And for someone like me who loves a craft cocktail, I mean, this is turning it up to 11 nothing is overlooked and you get like perfect service with a perfect cocktail oh i appreciate all the compliments yeah that's what we strive for back there uh, 1122 is really there to transport people back to like the golden age of cocktails the 1920s and 30s with all that glam as soon as you walk in the door the, the vibe kind of transports you with a secret entrance uh the bartenders are in that like 1920s 30 kind of uniform the music that you hear all the way down through the cocktails. They're doing like lost and forgotten cocktails of that era, uh, along with new seasonal uh, twists that they make, you know, year round back there, but they're super talented and uh, service is their number one priority back there. Yeah, it's really something. you got to check out 1122. And for as exclusive as it is, I mean, it was listed top 50 hidden bars in the nation. Like, it's gotten some press. You know, you can easily get in there, especially weekdays, make a reservation. And, uh, I mean, it's it's a must-do while you're in Paso, especially if you're visiting. Now, celebrating one year Cane Tiki. I have always loved Tiki drinks, and I remember seeing you in just some random parking lot in Paso passing each other, and you're like, hey, here's what we're doing. And this is, you know, right as we were kind of conceiving Cane Tiki. But what it is now celebrating, it feels like you're transported to the Hawaiian Islands when you walk in. Yeah, you know, that's what kind of what we try to do with all the concepts is kind of take people on like a journey or kind of transport them. We can all just walk into any old restaurant with no atmosphere. So we try to go all in on that and at Cane Tiki. You are really transported to like French Polynesia, Tahiti, Hawaii, all those South Pacific kind of destinations that we all love. Now, I want to talk about the food there because, yes, the tiki drinks are unstoppable. The bartenders there can make you anything and make it perfect. But the food there is banging. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we uh, we spent a lot of like R&D kind of eating uh, all different kinds of cuisine. And our menu is made up of about 
12 to 15 really unique items. Um, some things people would be familiar with, like Mongolian beef and orange chicken. But then we have some kind of like new items like Spam Masubi that people might have had when they were in Hawaii. We do chicken lettuce cups, ahi pokey. We just recently added chicken wings, like a, a Thai chicken wing, Ooh. and even some like a ramen dishes on the menu too now. Yeah, I love the pork belly ramen. I've never tried Spam Masubi before your place, and it's not only did I, did I love it, but I've tried it at a couple different places, and it's not even it's not even the same. Like because it's kind of a hot thing now, people are trying to do them more. But no, you guys have like dialed it in. What are the hours first at King Tiki? Uh, when can people go? Do you need reservations? Yeah, you can make reservations every day if you like. Uh, They're not needed all the time, but we are open seven days a week, opening at 4 p.m. until 11 p.m. at night. Kitchen does close at 9 o'clock, so if you want to eat, you'd want to get there a little before 9. Now, Kane Tiki Room is located right next door to Fish Gaucho, and like Donovan says, seven days a week. Check in with the crew there because they will take great care of you, and also let them know that you heard about it here on the Where Wine Takes You podcast. Now, 11.22, what are the hours? How do we get in there? So we only close on Mondays in 11.22 to give the guys a day off and then we are open tuesday through sunday in the evening fridays and saturdays we open at 5 p.m the other nights open at 6 p.m reservations are offered as well except for friday and saturday that's first come first serve you know it's hard to find a restaurateur that loves paso and is entrenched as deep as you and your brother are you obviously love this area but you love bringing these vibes to Paso and really kind of owning it. It's, it's really special, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. If any of your listeners come up, don't forget we have fish gaucho and Pappy McGregor to make a whole night of it. You can hit all four, hit two, hit three, and uh, we'll take you around the world. Donovan is here from Kane Tiki. Also, of course, 1122 Speakeasy. And like he said, don't forget uh, Fish Gaucho and Pappy's. Great place to get some grub. And, you know, when you're having a little bit of a vacation or even a staycation, if you're from here next time you're in downtown Paso. Donovan, thanks for taking a little bit of time and jumping on the podcast, man. It means a lot. And, you know, I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you soon, Adam. Thanks to my man Donovan for being so willing to chat. Always there. And... There we go. Jam-packed episode. Man, don't forget to hit up TravelPaso.com when you're thinking of places to stay, things to do, places to eat. Great website to hit up before your next visit for sure. TravelPaso.com. And of course, any and all things Paso, hit up PasoWine.com. Our auction is next month. Some exciting ways to get your hands on some exclusive wine and experiences here in Paso Wine Country. Also, spring release weekend. That's next month. I know Paso Wine Fest tickets are on sale. That's in May. So there is a lot going on. PasoWine.com for it all. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. And many thanks to Jamie Guzman with Paso Wine for fulfillment on the podcast. The show is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on the show, Good Company, performed by Moonshiner Collective, available wherever you stream your music. You can learn more, moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Next time you are cruising the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, heard on Wine Country Radio, The Crush 92.5, all over the Central Coast. We stream online, Crush with a K, Crush925.com. We also got a free app in your smartphone. Can't thank you enough for connecting and sharing this podcast with a friend. It means a lot. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Until next time, let's lift that glass up. Here's to sharing and relishing where wine takes you. And give me that cash.
town will get by We pass on down till the job is Camped out in the trees It will simplify Good company Give me that moral sound Get by We pass on down till the job is Camped out in the trees It will simplify Good company Give me that moral sound We'll get by We pass on down till the job is Camped out in the trees It will simplify Good company With that moral sound We'll get by We pass on down till the job is dry Camped out in the trees who will simplify and good company. company.